welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. We're coming into a uh, series called Think, Speak and Act. This morning I want to talk in particular about the power of our words. The power of our words. I may have told you this story before, some of you. Uh, it was a moment which arrested my attention. I got a little girl, and at this point in time, I think she was like three or four years old, just, just in case. I'm feeling a little flat today. I got a bit of a headache, so if I'm coming across flat, uh, my wife has been away for the last two days on a, on a getaway with friends, so I've been um, surviving, barely. <laughs> had to iron my shirt. So if I'm just a bit flat today, that's probably why. Been like scrounging together, two-minute noodles and... She's not back till three o'clock, so if anyone's doing anything for lunch, let me know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, little girl, I think she was like, I don't know, three, four, five at the time, and we're driving along in the car, and she's telling us a story, and she, she loves to do, she loves to speak. <laughs> she loves to talk and tell, tell these stories, and so I'm listening as I do. Yeah, okay, babe, yep, 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 yep. And then as she's speaking, out of nowhere, beep, she drops an F-bomb. This beautiful, innocent, sweet, butter wouldn't melt in her mouth girl. As she's speaking, drops an expletive. And I'm like, did I just hear what I think I heard? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, no, no way she said that. No way she said that. I've heard that wrong. And so I stopped her. I don't know if I heard anything else in that, that conversation, but I definitely heard that word. And I said, but what, what were you just talking about? And she went over again and she used it again. Now, I, I'm thinking she actually said that. My face is like, what is happening here? Where did she get that word from? Look at her, her mum. Where did she hear that from? And anyway, we get into a conversation with her and it's like uh, trying to understand what, why she said that and where she got that from. And, and she didn't understand what she was saying. It was just it, it, the context of that did not make sense. It's not that that word needed a context to make sense, but she, she, she didn't understand what she had said. She'd heard someone say it and so she just threw it into her, her sentence. And so I'm trying to get to the bottom of where did this word come from? And where has she been lately? She's been at school. Did, did you have school? No. Where, where has she been? She's been in the children's ministry. <laughs> and I was 98% sure she wouldn't have got it from there. But check anyway. Did, did someone in kids' church say that word? <laughs> no. You can breathe your kids there today you can just breathe there but it turned out it was one of her aunties that said it she heard her say it and so she just repeated it but she had no idea what she was saying she didn't understand the word that she was saying and today I want to talk about uh, and hopefully help us to get a little bit of understanding that the, the words that we speak are actually powerful and some of us just don't comprehend that some of us may not understand that that the power of of life and death is in the tongue. 
Proverbs says that. Proverbs 18.21. Wes, if we can put that up, please. This is from the ESV. It says, Death and life are in power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If we can put it in the message version. Words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Now, you may say this morning, don't worry, I don't need to know that. I already know that. I've heard this before. I've heard this scripture so many times. I know that there is power in my words. But how many of us understand that you can know something and still be negligent of the truth of something? You can know something. You can know that it's true. You can know that it's real, but still not live in the reality of it, and it's outworking. One of my favorite examples of this is gravity. You know, for, for how long was society built with the principle of gravity without even understanding that they were building around the principle of gravity? It's the reason that people don't try to build houses in the sky. And we understand it now because there's, there's, there's a principle that we have, uh, we have worked out that gravity exists. And so we center our culture, we center our society around the principle of gravity. But for many years, people didn't know that. And yet they still had to live under its ruling. There are certain things that God says. There are certain principles, universal principles, things that God has outworked in creation, in life, that we are bound by. We don't get to to say, yeah, I believe that one. I don't believe that one. And because I don't believe that one, it doesn't apply to my life. Imagine if I stood here and I said, look, I don't really believe in gravity. You prove it. Like, it's, you know, it's just numbers and all these sorts of stuff. I don't actually believe in it. Now, because I don't believe in it, doesn't mean if I try to step off this stage, I'm not going to fall. And so it's, it's wisdom for me to then shape my life or allow God's word to shape my life around his word. So when it says that there is the power of life and death is in the tongue, yes, you may know that. But unless you engage with the truth of that and allow that to shape your world, then you can know it and still live against it. But even if you do, you will still see life and death as a result of what's taking place and what's coming out of your mouth. And so I think it's smart, it's wise of us to then take God's word and apply it, allow it to be, become us, allow it to, to get into us and shape the way that we live. You don't get to say whether your words bring life or death. They do. You don't get to say, no, 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 some of my words might bring life, some of them might bring death. You don't get to say that. The, the truth is they will whether you partner with that or not. And so wisdom would have us to bring around to come in alignment with that and to live out of that space that our words would bring life. There was a study, uh, they see this, there was a study, this guy Gottman, uh, psych- a psychologist who looked at uh, communication in relationships. And they, they were studying and they came to this point where they could, uh, they could predict up to 96% on a 96% rate of marriages that would end in divorce. They did this study with all of these marriages and to 96%, I think it's 96.3, they could work out which of those marriages would end in divorce. And they traced it back to four different communication uh, style, four different areas of communication. If we can put those up, Wes. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. And they said if, if, the, if the relationship, if the marriage is characterized by these four different 
communication styles or these four different areas of communication, then that marriage will, 96%, they could predict it, will end in divorce. The two strongest was criticism and contempt. What is this? It proves that God knows what he's talking about. It proves that, that, that words, if they are critical and we continue to criticize and be critical, bring death to relationships. They bring death to, to, to identity. They bring death to people's purposes. So psychology is working out, hang on a second, we already knew this, but. And so it, it would be wise of us to align ourselves with that. I read from a passage of scripture in uh, the New Testament in the letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to read from this, uh, chapter 4. There's no clock, is there? So I can go till 2. I work off calendars, not clocks. Give me a couple of days here. Ephesians 4th chapter. I'm going to read a passage and then we're going to jump into it and bounce around it. Uh, verse 29. Ephesians 4:29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and stand, uh, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let me start off by just breaking down a little bit of, of the context of this letter. The letter to the Ephesians, Paul is writing to them to give them some instruction and some insight in how they are to live in a new life that Christ has given them. You see, over and over again throughout Ephesians, Paul uh, addresses the old life, the former way of living, the former way of thinking. And he says to them that that, that, that is a contrast between the way that we are called to live now as Christians. I love Ephesians because it helps me to see that uh, becoming a follower of Jesus is not just about trying to be better. It's not just trying to be a better version of me, living my best life now. It's, it's different. Ephesians gives this contrast, this stark contrast of light and darkness, of death and life. And it shows us that the gospel is actually a gospel that, that brings the dead to life. It doesn't put perfume on a rotten corpse to make it smell good, the gospel regenerates the person. It brings dead to life. And that is the contrast. It's not that you come to Jesus and then you try to make yourself better, a better person. It's that you came to him dead. You were dead in sin. And now you've been alive in Christ. And that contrast is so stark. It's so different. It's not just about trying to speak better. It's not just about trying to think better. It's about stepping out of that old life and into the new life. And Ephesians is like this, this picture. I see it like uh, Paul just giving the church this letter to look at themselves and to look at how they used to be. Have you, ever, have you ever looked through old photographs and you looked and you thought, oh my goodness, why was I wearing that? What was with my hair back in those days? Have you ever done that? And you look back and you're like, how did I even go out of the house looking like that? 
Well, it's good to remind yourself not to go back there. (laughs) When you look at it, Ephesians is like that. It gives us the contrast. It says, this is what life used to look like. This was the former way. This is how you used to think. This is how you used to speak. Now, what Jesus has done has changed your life. And this is how it looks now. What's the difference? Like a before and after. Before the cross, I looked like this. I had anger. I had hatred. I had bitterness. And those were the things that flew out of me, that came out of my mouth. And then the cross came. Now my after photo is I'm a different creation. I'm a new creation. I'm a different person. And Ephesians puts that before the church and says, you are no longer that person. You are no longer called to live like that. Instead, you should live like this. Then again, it's not about Paul saying, you need to make yourself better. It's he has already purchased all of this for you. He has already done the work for you. So just stop looking back at that old person and start living as the new you. Take off all of that. Don't worry about that. Put it away. Just put on what he has done in you and through you. That gives us a better understanding when we engage with the scripture that Paul's not just saying, do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. He's saying, that's not you anymore. When you look back at that old picture of yourself, you should do this today just for a laugh. Go back and look at a picture of what you used to dress like and say, I am thankful that is not me anymore. When you read Ephesians, you see this. And sometimes you might see some of this stuff in your, in your life coming up in your heart. And you've got to just remind yourself, that's not me anymore. That was the old me. I don't live there anymore. That's not me. I'm a new creation. And I'm putting on what God has said I should look like and how I should live. And so he says to them, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I heard this once spoken about in a simplistic way. And the idea was, don't swear. Just don't swear. This is what this means, just get rid of that. You're a new creation, you, you just don't swear. The Greek word for corrupting is the word sapras. And that word is not just cursing, it's not just swearing. That word encompasses anything that is rotten. It actually means rotting. Anything that is foul, anything that is not good, anything that does not bring life. He says, let no corrupting speech come from your mouths. That would include cursing, that would include swearing, but it's not bound to or limited to that. So if you think I've ticked that off because I stopped swearing when I got saved, let me just maybe open that up again. It doesn't just mean that. It means anything that is filthy, anything that is perverse, anything that is vulgar, anything that brings rottenness, anything that is toxic, anything that is unhealthy, any speech that would bring someone down, that would degrade someone, that would humiliate someone, let none of that come out of your mouths. So maybe we haven't ticked that box. Maybe, maybe our, our understanding can be a little bit simplistic. And I'll tell you what, I had the foulest mouth when I came to Jesus. I was... If you watched my 21st birthday party when I was given my speech, there were less words that weren't beeps than were actually words. I've watched it as I fall over while I'm giving a speech because I'm just so out there. And I think, oh my goodness, was that me before? 
And so this was the first passage of Scripture I ever memorized when I came to Jesus because I had such a foul mouth. And God unlocked some stuff. But as I've been journeying through it, I'm like, no, that's not just it. There's so much more to this. He's saying, don't let anything that is toxic or unhealthy or rotten that would contaminate relationship come out of your mouth. And what does he say? Let no. Let none. So there's not even a clause that says if I'm upset, I get to spew something on you. There's not a clause that says if I'm angry, then I'm allowed to just let you know that. It says let none come out of your mouth. Anything that is toxic, you see those things that, that Gottman looked at, the critical, contempt, thinking you're, you're superior to someone, treating them like they're inferior, speaking down, sarcastic, let none of it come out of your mouths. But then he gives contrast. So it's not just abstinence from foul language or rotten language. He says, instead, instead of that, only that which is good for building up, as fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So it's not about just abstaining from saying things. That's, that's a part of it. But it's about using our words to build people up. It's about using our words to encourage people. It's about using our words to help people. Not just not spewing the venom but actually using thoughtfully the words that we have to, to build people up. Here's three really quick points on, on, from this passage. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up. Here's the first thing. Your words are here to build. You are called to build people. You have been called to build people. Right now, Paul gives permission to us uh, that Jesus called us to build people up. And he says that one of the greatest tools that you have as a builder of people is your words. Your words are, are, are your tools, your construction tools to build people up. And so if you can speak in this place, you have a responsibility and a call and a mandate to help build people up with your words to start to build them up. I wonder if our mindset changes and, and, and we, we start to think, hang on a second, my conversations are actually places of construction. I wonder how that would change the way we interact and relate to each other. If I knew that every word that I have is an opportunity for me to speak life to someone, to build someone up, I wonder if that would shift how I use my words. I wonder if that would change the, the way that I come into conversation. When I sit down with someone, if I'm thinking, hey, I have an opportunity here to speak life into this person. Not to just throw words left, right, and center. Not to just go on about this, that, and the other, X, Y, Z. Not that those things are bad, but I have a moment here. I have an opportunity here. I'm going to use that to build into this person, to help them to see how God sees them to help them to see themselves the way that God sees them, to help them to, to add and to, to bring value to their lives, to build into them. I wonder if that just, even today, just think about that. For the rest of the day, the conversations that you engage in, just the thought, hang on a second, is there an opportunity here for me to build into this person, to build this person up? Use your conversations for construction. Paul's like, let, let all the rotten stuff go and instead use these words to bring life. 
And those words have power to do that. Can we put that quote up where it's about encouragement? This is from Barclay's commentary. He says, One of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It is easy to pour cold water on enthusiasm. It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. We have been called to encourage one another. Hebrews actually says, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called day. Another thing to think about is your daily custom, is your daily practice to encourage someone out of your way to speak some encouragement into someone's life you got no idea honestly you got no idea what the person sitting next to you is going through right now the person in front of you the person behind you we dwell in church of putting on a smile of clapping at the right times praising the lord how you doing yeah god is good god is good but life's falling apart it doesn't change the fact god is good but it's not there are people in this room right now who, who potentially weren't coming this morning because your life is just so chaotic and your heart is just so hurt at this point. Hey, we've got opportunity to encourage each other before we leave this place. You've got opportunity today, because it's called day, to encourage someone. I, I was thinking of Pastor Brett, and I just, you know, he's, uh, I've known him for, how long have we known each other now? Just over a year? You're not counting the days? <laughs> 367 we've known each other for, for 367 days and uh, I don't think we've had a conversation where he hasn't encouraged me where he hasn't left me with a tool to build where he hasn't given me, given me a word that has helped to impart the destiny that is in me or helped to stoke up the fire that is in me I was thinking about it today I don't think we've had an idle conversation where there has been you know, just general chit chat he's an encourager He's a builder. He's someone that, that wants to leave you better as a result of his time with you. We can all be like him. We're all called to build people, to encourage people. Think about the people that you, you like to be around. Most of the time, it's the people that speak life into you, right? It's not the people that tear you down. It's not the people that bag you out. So be that to someone. Build people up. The second thing there, he says... As fits the occasion, let me give you this B, bite. You know, it's not just what you say that is important. It's when you say it that is also important. I have heard many times people say, I wish I got the opportunity to tell this person how I actually felt. We, we, we go to a funeral, we, 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 we speak about someone that's passed, and, and the thought is, I wish I had the opportunity to tell them how much I actually love them, how much I actually appreciate them, how much I care for them. And people carry regret because they never got the opportunity. But potentially we have had that opportunity. There have been occasions, as fits the occasion, for us to speak a word of encouragement, for us to share uh, how, how, what, uh, how much that person means to us. But on the flip side, I've also heard it said so many times, and I've said this myself, I wish I didn't say that. Oh my goodness, I wish I didn't say that. As fits the occasion, you know, just because you've got nothing to say doesn't mean you should say it. 
And sometimes it's not the right time to say it. I'm not saying that we can never uh, rebuke one another in love, that we can never correct one another in love, but it's got to be rooted and grounded in love and not based upon emotion or rage or anger or bitterness. So there is a time for us to speak and there is a time for us to bite our tongue. James talks about this. He talks about taming the tongue. And he gives the example of how we've learned to tame all of the wild beasts. And yet this little piece of the body, this really small thing, has such opportunity to cause destruction, to just break people down, to cause fires that spread. We would do well to learn to tame the tongue. I was watching a video of a, of a lion tamer. And he was doing all these, you know, getting this lion to walk around and he was getting the lion to like stand up on its back feet and, and do all these little tricks. And he was going to go to this point where he was going to put his head in the lion's mouth. And I thought, bro, you don't need to do that. You don't need to prove this. The fact that you're walking around with a wild beast and it hasn't yet eaten you tells me that you've tamed it. Don't go that far to put your head in its mouth. You don't have to try and prove that. Taming the tongue, biting our tongue, knowing that sometimes you just shouldn't say what you're thinking you should say, but give yourself some space, go away and process with the Holy Spirit what you're about to say, and sometimes don't even say it. Your emails, responding to that email, sending that text message back. You lose the tone, you lose the heart in, in text messages and, and, and emails. How many times I've put an email in the bin because I don't want to respond to it out of anger or out of bitterness. Learn to bite your tongue. With my little girl, you know, all of us, are, is anyone here perfect, by the way? Just quickly before I say this. None of us are actually perfect. And so we make mistakes. There's times we say things that, that we shouldn't have said. There's times that we speak out of anger. We speak out of uh, frustration. And so it's good to apologize to people. And I've, uh, you know, I'm willing to humble myself with my kids and apologize to my kids. And there's times when you know, I've said something out of frustration and whilst what I have said may be true, may be right, I've said it in a really bad way and, and it's the potential to, to cause uh, hurt in my, my daughter. And so I've, I've learned to apologize to her. The other day, I told her off something and put her in a room for a little bit of time out she came back after five minutes and she says, Dad, would you like to apologize to me? <laughs> so she's getting used to it now. It's good to apologize when we make mistakes, but how much better would it be to learn to live a life that requires no apology? I mean, we apologize for things, but how much more powerful will it be to learn to live a life that requires no apology? Because when you apologize, there's still damage. If, if, you, if I'm reversing out of this car park today and I hit your car and I come over and apologize to you, that's good, isn't it? But you still got a dent in your car. So the apology opens the doorway for healing. It can open the doorway for forgiveness, but it doesn't do all the work. And sometimes we say things that we don't mean and we apologize, but they still have an impact. They still bring death. So what if the Holy Spirit could lead us to live a life that requires no apology? The last thing there, it says, 
is fit for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace to those who, who hear. Your words are there to benefit others. Now, I'm going to try and say this as nicely as I can because I want to practice what I preach. But I think sometimes people speak because they like the sound of their voice. Not because they necessarily have something that needs to be said, but they just like to talk. And for some people, their favorite subject is themselves. And you could sit there for an hour and hear all about them. Sometimes that is necessary for us to talk about what's happening in our world, but if that dictates all of your conversation, what benefit of that is it to anyone else? Your conversation is there to minister grace. It says to give grace to others. If you have a mouth, you're a minister. You don't need a microphone to minister grace to people. You can sit around a coffee table and minister grace to people. Are your words of benefit to others? Are you speaking words that are actually help others, that are going to release grace into others, that are going to help to, to move others in the right direction? Are your words of benefit to others? What we speak brings life. Let me finish with this at the end of it there. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, you could read that in isolation, but I think it's actually connected to what has been said. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Your words can grieve the Holy Spirit. What you say can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we speak rotten, when we, we let those words of death spew out of us, come out of us, you know, it can grieve the Spirit of God. It can grieve Him. And I also think it may grieve Him when we miss opportunities to use our words to build people up. Like the Holy Spirit is, 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 is in that conversation. He's at that table. He's, he's on the couch as you're sitting there. And he's prompting and leading and opening opportunities to share. And we just don't go there. We miss it. And perhaps it grieves his heart that, that he wants to minister grace. That he wants to use your words to bring life. That he wants to build into that person. That he loves the person that you're speaking to so much that his desire is to just impart some life into them. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit just wants those opportunities for us to open our mouths to let him speak and to move through us, to minister grace, to benefit others. But here's the, the, the most important thing of this. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. At the end of the day, your words are the overflow of what is happening in your heart. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's happening in your heart, listen to your lips. If you want a, a barometer, a thermometer of what is actually in your heart, listen to what is coming out of your lips. If you're, you find yourself speaking negativity, bitterness, critical words, trace that back and I can tell you there'll be something in your heart where there is bitterness, where there is a critical spirit, where there's hatred, 
Because it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And if your words are kind and there's love and there's grace and there's acceptance and there's uh, these beautiful words that are coming out, it's probably a sign that God has done something in your heart to change your heart to bring forward those those, those, those words of life. So it's not just about taming the tongue, it's about transforming the heart. And only God can do that. Only God can transform us. Only God can take us from the place where we are filled with bitterness and wrath and anger to a place where we can be kind to each other, when we can be tender-hearted, when we can be forgiving of each other. It's only by the grace and look of Jesus that we can come to that place. And so as we speak, we have to be working the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. But let me tell you, listen to your lips. Listen to what is coming out of your mouth because it will show you what's in your heart. And it's a great sign. I, I, I think that, you know, the start there with uh, Proverbs and the message, Proverbs 18, it said, uh, words give life and words kill. You choose. How empowering is that? That you actually have a choice which way you go. And if you have the new nature, if you have God's spirit living in you, he's always going to lead you in one direction. But you still have the choice. Whether you partner, you agree, you move in that direction, or whether you go back to and allow that to just keep coming out. I hope this has given us something to think about and to, to possibly help us to, to apply for our lives. But I just want to pray before we finish. And I, I was feeling like this week that there have been things, and, and you know, the example of if I reverse into your car and I apologize, there, there's still damage that has been done. And I guess the cycle that some of what is in our hearts and the words that come out of our mouths are connected to what has been spoken into us, what has been spoken about us, what has shaped and and, and sometimes hurt our hearts. And so I feel to pray this morning for for words that have been spoken over us and into us that have uh, had an effect on us that are causing us to speak ourselves out of a place of hurt, out of a place of bitterness, and to invite Holy Spirit to just do that healing work in us, that transformative work in our hearts, so that we're not having to bite our tongue every five seconds. The language starts to change. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.